You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. So tonight's Bible reading is Psalms 137 and can be found on the page 504 on the Pew Bibles. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There there on the poplars, uh, we hung our harps. For there, our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of our Lord while in a foreign land? If I, if I forget Jerusalem, may the right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy, remember, Lord, what the Endomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to be destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Thanks, Tash. G'day, everyone. My name's Tim. I'm the senior minister here, and we're going to have a look at that that passage together. Uh, As Andy said, we're in the middle of a series called In the Valley, and we're thinking particularly about emotions, uh, especially the sort of difficult emotions, the more uh, negative. We sometimes think of them as negative emotions that we experience in our life. So we've talked about grief, uh, and we've talked about fear, Uh, You can listen to those on the podcast if you miss them. But today we're thinking about anger. Um, What are your experiences of anger? What are the things that tend to sort of trigger your anger, set you off if you like? Um, I used to say that there were two areas in my life that were particular danger areas. Um, Getting into a car to drive it and stepping onto the sports field. Those were the two sort of big areas for me. Get in a car. The trouble is, like, you get in a car, there's so many idiots on the road who do stuff like they cut in front of you and the road rage just takes over. Uh, and for me, the sports field, like white line fever is a real thing. Get on there, the competitive juices start flowing, you get frustrated uh, and you get angry. Um, I, I, I used to say those were the two areas for me that were the big areas. Not anymore. Not anymore. No, now I have kids. There's nothing like children to kind of test your godliness and your self-control. Picture uh, Tim waking up in the morning, bleary-eyed, stumbling towards the coffee machine to switch it on to try and you know, get the caffeine to kickstart the day, and my barefoot steps on a bit of Lego or a car or a ball. Samuel! It's usually his fault. He's normally the one who's left something around. And the image that we often use to speak about anger is fire. Actually, that's the image that the Bible speaks about often when it it, um, describes anger. So we talk about burning with anger or 
anger flaring up inside us. Um, and sometimes we can even talk about smoldering anger. That's kind of more like the slow burn anger. But they're all fire images. Uh, and like a fire, there's often a spark that triggers an angry response from us. Something or someone frustrates us. Or we're made to feel embarrassed or ashamed. Or we feel jealous or stressed out. And that sort of sparks the anger inside us. And just like fire, anger can be destructive. So when we're angry, we lash out, we say things that we regret saying. We hurt people with our words. Or worse, we actually physically lash out in the midst of our anger. And we do damage to other people and we do damage to ourselves as well. Now, right at the start of this talk, I want to separate out those two things because we need to be careful to separate out. Firstly, there is the emotion of anger, the feeling of anger that happens within us. Uh, And that is a natural and vital part of who we are. It's, It's okay to be angry. That's a natural part of the range of emotions that we have. It's legitimate. It's a legitimate feeling, and it's not wrong to feel angry. You need to be clear about that. But then there's also the things that we do when we're angry, the the actions that flow out, the words and the things that we do in response to our anger, Um, how we we use um, that anger and what we do with it, which is the thing that can cause problems. But you've got to keep those two things separate because it can be okay, it is okay to have the feeling of anger, but the question is how do you respond, what do you do with it? Uh, And maybe you're someone who's very aware that anger is a problem for you. You might describe yourself as a hothead. Again, that's one of those images um, linked with fire, I think. Being a hothead, you're you're someone who you you get easily set off. You you do get angry uh, quite easily. Uh, And maybe you kind of look back and you think, yeah, there's some really dumb stuff that I've done when I've been angry that I really regret. But it it happens very easily for me. I, I do often get angry. Or maybe you're, you're not sort of generally an angry person, but you're very aware at the moment that there's a situation that you're dealing with right at the moment that is making you so angry, so mad. Um, maybe something's been done to you, something awful's been done to you, or to someone you love, and you are just, you're just so mad. And the people who have done it, you, you really want to get them. You want to hurt them because of the pain that they've caused. But maybe that's not you either. Maybe you would say, well, I'm not the sort of person who gets angry that often, really. Uh, A couple of years ago, I decided that it'd be a really useful exercise to try and journal my own emotions and to do it for a whole year. So each night when I lay in bed, I'd I'd pull out a journal and I'd try and describe all of the different emotions that I'd gone through through the day. Write them down, reflect on them, think think about them. It was a way of sort of being aware of my own emotional life to be reflective about the emotions that I was experiencing. And I didn't very often write down anger, but I did often write words like this. Frustrated. Annoyed. 
irritated. And they form part of the same family of emotions, I think, as anger. So there's a bit of a spectrum, if you like, from irritation to frustration to annoyance to anger to rage, you know. And depending on our personalities, depending on how bad the things done to us are, we can we can be at different points on that spectrum. But it's the same sort of things that spark those emotions. And in each of those cases, you can still respond in negative and unhelpful and harmful ways. So anger is an issue for us, regardless, whether it's generally an issue for you, specifically in your current circumstances, or whether you're more like the irritated, annoyed type of person, it's good for us to reflect on our own experiences of this emotion and to hear what God's Word has to say to us, which we're going to do by exploring uh, this psalm, Psalm 137. Um, As Tash said, it's on page 504 in the Blue Bibles that are in the seat, so if you want to pull one out and grab it, it's page 504. And the way to get your head around this psalm is... There's nine verses, but it's basically made up of three sections of three verses each, and the key word in every section, it appears in each of these sections, is the word remember. Remember. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago that often when you come to the Psalms, you're not necessarily entirely sure what the person's experience is that they're going through. You can't always pin down exactly what they're going through. But in this case, we've got a fairly good idea what's happening. It's clear that this person is an Israelite, probably a musician, as we go on, you see that, and they are living in exile in Babylon. And you get that in the first three verses. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. So the the southern part of the nation of Israel, which was called Judah, got conquered by the nation of Babylon in about 587 BC. And the Babylonians smashed down the walls of Jerusalem, which is here referred to as Zion because That's the mountain on which Jerusalem was built, Mount Zion. And so sometimes in poems and songs, they use Zion as sort of a poetic word for Jerusalem. So they smashed the city down, they destroyed the temple, um, heaps of people were killed, and the people that weren't killed were taken off to Babylon to live as prisoners of war or, or exiles. And this songwriter is one of those people And you can see the grief. We spoke about grief a couple of weeks ago. The grief that he's experiencing, he weeps as he remembers his homeland that he's separated from. And as he weeps for his homeland, the people who've captured him make fun of him. They mock him. He describes them as tormentors. And they say, sing us one of your songs about Zion. That's a reference to some other songs that you find in the book of Psalms, like Psalm 46 and a few others, which are these songs of confidence about Jerusalem and Zion. It'll never be shaken. God is with us. We won't be moved. And the Babylonians are going, 
Sing us one of those songs, you know, the ones about how Jerusalem is so strong that it will never be beaten. Sing us that song. It's a bit like saying to a Collingwood supporter after they've just lost a grand final, why don't you belt out the team song for us? Go on, give us a rendition of the Collingwood team song. They're, they're mocking these, these powerless people who are grieving. So then in the next uh, verses, verses 4 to 6, this musician pledges that he will remember his homeland. He will not forget, even though he's separated from it. And if he does forget, he wants to lose his ability to make music. His right hand loses its skill so it can't play. And his tongue stick to the roof of his mouth so that he can't sing anymore. And then in the last three verses, his grief turns to anger as he asks God to remember what has been done to him and to his people. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. So that's a reference to Edom, which was one of the surrounding nations, which joined in with the Babylonians when Jerusalem was being attacked. Think about like a kid who's getting bashed up by a much larger bully and rather than helping, a, a ring of people kind of circle the fight that's going on while this kid's getting bashed and they egg on the bully, hit him harder, get him, get stuck into him. That's the sort of thing that the Edomites were doing. Tear it down, tear the whole city down. And so he says... God remember that they were part of this, that they were complicit in this violence and, and pay them back for what they've done. And then he turns his eyes to Babylon themselves and we read these really quite troubling and problematic words in verses 8 and 9. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. He's so angry that the anger spills over in a desire for revenge. He wants God to pay them back for what they have done to him and his people, including this, this terrible image of their children being dashed against rocks, which we know from history and there's references in the Bible that this actually did happen in Middle Eastern warfare at that time. And there's shocked references in the Bible about nations doing this sort of thing to the people of Israel. It's likely that when the Babylonians came in and defeated them, that's the sort of thing that they did. Killing the children so that they couldn't be the next generation of soldiers. Murdering pregnant women amongst all the other war crimes. And so this, this guy who's writing this song, he's experienced terrible trauma. He's experienced things that I have never experienced and never want to experience. And yet, even though he's been through that, we still struggle to read this. We still, how can you say that? How can you say, I want their children to suffer what our children did? And a lot of people say, those verses shouldn't be in the Bible. They should not be there. When people give... Bible reading plans, they often cut the last three verses out so that you don't read them. Or people say, 
Oh, that's just Old Testament, pre-Jesus stuff. It's not Christian. You can't say that sort of thing. But I actually think we need to sit with it a bit longer to try and understand it a bit better. I mean, put yourself in this person's position. Try and walk in their shoes. Imagine that foreign nations come and invade Melbourne. Melbourne's bombed beyond recognition, pretty much destroyed. Um, they, the victorious army goes through, having, having defeated us, they go through raping and, and killing, committing all sorts of atrocities. Uh, then they, you're taken away, you're taken captive away to a foreign land where you are completely powerless, a prisoner and mocked. Would you feel angry? Would you feel so angry that you wanted them punished for what they've done, that you would want them to sort of get paid back for what had happened to members of your own family and your friends? See, I've never experienced that sort of trauma, but I can understand how anger is a natural emotion in the face of such evil atrocities. And so one of the questions that we need to wrestle with tonight is, is it okay to feel angry? If you have experienced abuse or you've seen other people experience abuse, is it okay to be angry about that? When you experience injustice or you see injustice, should you feel angry about that? When we see evil and violence perpetrated, Shouldn't that make us feel angry? When you see selfishness leading to environmental destruction, is it right to feel angry about that? See, there is in fact a rightness to the feeling of anger. When we see evil and violence and corruption and lies and injustice, it's appropriate and right to Feel angry. It's what you might call righteous anger, right anger. Now, we, we need to be careful because we often get on our high horse and get righteous about things where we've been personally slighted and yet when there is something that is so objectively wrong and evil, it's, it's clear that there is a rightness in the anger in response to that. And it's in that context that you need to think about God and anger. See, when I was trying to choose a psalm, like we're doing the emotion of anger, so I needed to find a psalm for this. So, you know, you type in anger in the psalms, and anger comes up a lot in the psalms, but not very often speaking about human anger, more often speaking about God and his anger at evil and wrong and violence and corruption. Now, even me mentioning that might make you feel uncomfortable. Lots of people are like, oh, don't, I don't want to think about God as an angry God. That's not a very comfortable thought. Um, the crime writer, P.D. James, I don't know whether you've read any P.D. James crime novels, uh, in her novel Original Sin, she constructs this conversation between a woman and her Jewish friend. She says... If I had a God, I'd like him to be intelligent, cheerful, and amusing. 
He said, I doubt you'd find him much of a comfort when they herded you into the gas chambers. You might prefer a God of vengeance. See, the trouble is this. If we want justice to take place, then you actually need a God who will judge. You need a God who will look on evil and corruption and whose anger will be roused by evil so that he will act to bring justice. Now, the trouble, I think, is often the only models we have of anger are human anger, and human anger is often self-serving. It is often um, unpredictable, and it often is out of proportion to the wrong. Some minor thing is done, we get angry, and we go over the top in terms of the response. But God's anger is not like that. When the Bible describes God's anger, it speaks of it more like a a settled and controlled state, um, which is right and proportional as a response to human evil. So one of the most common descriptions we have of God, uh, and we just sang it before, it was in um, one of our first two songs. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. So you notice that that doesn't say God never gets angry. It says God does get angry, but he's slow to anger. And you've got to couple that with the fact that he's compassionate and he's gracious and he abounds in love. See, it's actually inherent in God's character that he doesn't give people what they deserve, that he is gracious to us, he shows mercy to us. And when people who've been acting unjustly turn away from their injustice and turn back to God and ask for forgiveness, God is merciful and does forgive. And he turns his anger away. As you continue journeying through the Bible, the the place that you see that most clearly is in the cross. As God pours out his anger on himself, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to deal with our wrongdoing and our corruption and our sin. He takes his anger on himself so that we don't experience it. Jesus got angry. There's a story in Mark chapter 3 where Jesus goes into the synagogue, which is like the, um, the, the church or the religious gathering place of the time, and there's a guy sitting in the front row with a a hand that doesn't work. He's disabled, and he's been put in that seat by the religious leaders. They've plonked him right there because they're trying to trap Jesus. They want to see whether Jesus is going to help this guy heal his arm on the Sabbath day, the day of rest. And Jesus sees that it's a setup, and he says, well, is it better to do good or to do bad? Is it better to give life to someone or to kill? But they don't respond, they just stay there silent because they want to trap Jesus. And we read this, verse 5, Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Now as we think about our own emotions, it's really helpful to think about Jesus because here is Jesus who is God himself In human flesh, God come amongst us as a human, the true human, the model of what humanity should look like, and Jesus got angry. 
So it, it normalizes our human emotion of anger and says, yeah, it's okay to feel angry. But what does Jesus do with his anger? He doesn't turn violent and get stuck into the religious leaders. He doesn't even you know, walk out, do some breathing exercises and take a time out. He turns his anger into healing. He does good in the midst of his anger and brings life to this guy restoring his hand. So again, anger itself is not the sin, but we've always got the choices. What are we going to do when we're feeling angry? What are we going to channel that into? How are we going to act in response? Paul sums it up really well in Ephesians 4 verse 26. He says, In your anger do not sin. Again, listen to what he's saying there. He doesn't say, don't get angry, as if you can somehow stop getting angry, you know, switch the button off. But he says, in your anger, when you're angry, don't sin. When you're feeling angry, be careful how you act, be careful what you say, be careful what you do. In your anger, do not sin. Don't do something that will hurt somebody or yourself. A couple of verses later, though, he also says this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So it's not wrong to be angry, but we have to be careful what we do when we're angry. And yet at the same time, God wants to transform us and change us so that there is less anger and rage and bitterness within us. It's part of God's work by his Holy Spirit to transform our emotional life as he, tries, as he changes us more and more into the image of Jesus. So if you're someone who's a follower of Jesus, God wants to change you to make you more and more the sort of person who he created you to be and who is in the image of his son Jesus. And that includes your emotions. God has created us as whole beings, including our emotional life. And part of his transformation is actually to change our emotions. Now, that's not going to happen suddenly, although God can work miracles. But more often it's a really slow work of transformation as God gently matures our emotional life. As we continue to commit these emotions to him and we ask for him to work for change. You see, anger doesn't just come from nowhere. Anger is a response to underlying needs and wants that we have within us that we feel are not being met. So maybe they're material things, a lack of material things or money, but more often they're, they're a, it's, a, it's a, an emotional need or an emotional want. Something is lacking, like wanting to be respected or wanting to be loved. And when that's missing or we, we feel like someone's not giving us that, often we respond in anger. And so the more we sort of come to God and lay those wants and needs before God, and the more that we find those 
emotional and material needs met by God rather than trying to fulfill them ourselves or find them fulfilled in other people who will fail us all the time. The more that we bring them to God and say, God, meet my needs, I want you to fulfill me. The more that God will work to mature our emotional life and bring us into the image of Jesus. Spiritual maturity is not disconnected from emotional maturity. Part of being a mature Christian is having your emotions matured by the work of God's Spirit. This is what Jeremy Begbie says about this. Through the Spirit, we are given the priceless opportunity of, to put it simply, growing up emotionally, having our emotions purged of sin and stretched, shaped and reshaped. And that's true of our anger and our frustrations and our annoyances as it is for all of our emotions. So what in practical terms should we do with our anger? Well, there's lots of resources out there. If if you're struggling with anger and it is a real problem for you, um, this website, mensline.org.au, is excellent, recognising that men particularly often struggle with anger. They'll suggest things like recognising signs that anger is welling up within you, breathing exercises that you can do, um, things like removing yourself from situations when you're feeling angry, really practical advice. They've got like a toolkit that you can use there, really helpful wisdom. And I recommend that to you as a resource. But I also want to sort of talk about three practical things as Christians particularly that we should do as we deal with anger. Firstly, tell God when you're feeling angry and tell God how angry you're feeling. That's exactly what this psalmist, the writer of Psalm 137, does. If you're feeling so mad that you want to hurt someone, you want to get them, tell God about it. That's not the same as doing it. It's a much better alternative to say, God, I feel like doing this and I'm going to tell you that I'm so angry that I just, I just want to get them. It's actually a way of processing that anger before God and telling him about the depths of your emotions and the fire that is burning within you. Now, you don't have to worry that you're going to shock God or you're going to scare God off. Right? God knows that we're experiencing those emotions anyway. God knows how angry we are. But speaking to him is a way of bringing it before him and processing it with him. Right? You don't have to try and be a polite Christian. You don't have to try and get rid of the anger or bottle it up or make it go away. Express it to God and tell him how you're feeling. That's why I'm glad that, that these verses are here, that they're not edited out because it's permission giving to speak like this and to tell God when we're experiencing anger of this sort. Secondly, trust God to do the judging rather than you trying to be the judge and the jury and the executioner. 
when we take our anger to God, we're not just processing it, we're actually taking it to a God who is the one who will judge right and wrong and who will do something about injustice and evil. That's the thinking behind Romans 12, 9, 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. We don't need to take revenge. We don't need to inflict harm on other people. We don't need to sort it all out for ourselves because God will. We can trust that God will do it in his time. Now, I recognise that that is extraordinarily hard in the moment. When we're feeling wronged, it is very hard to say, I'm going to trust God to do the judging here because we want to sort it out. And it really pushes to us having a worldview where God really is in charge, where Jesus is risen from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God as the judge, and he will come back to judge all people, both the living and the dead, and he will act with justice. But if we have that worldview, if we believe that that is true, that Jesus really is the Lord who will judge, then we have to say to God, God, you will do a better job of judging than I will. I want to sort it out my way now, but I'm going to let you do it because you will do it more fairly and justly than I do. And so I'm actually going to not take revenge, but trust it to you. And when we do that, God can actually take us to a new place. So the third thing is to keep asking God to transform you by his spirit, including your anger. Immediately after saying, don't take revenge and trust God to judge, this is how that chapter from Romans 12 goes on. It says, on the contrary, instead of taking revenge, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When you pour out your anger to God, when you say to God, I'm going to trust you to do the judging, God can actually work in such radical ways in our lives by the power of his Holy Spirit that he can move us to a place where you can even want to act for good for those who have done evil to you. Now, let's not pretend that's not radical. That is huge. And frankly, in the midst of your anger and your pain, you might feel like that that is beyond me at the moment. We don't want to be trite. We don't want to be simplistic. We don't want to try and pretend that anger can just be switched off or quenched or pushed away. We don't want to hurry people to that place before they're ready to go there in the midst of their anger. It's a process, and it can be a slow process. But that's why cutting verses like this out of the Bible would do us no good, because it basically is a way of saying, oh, no, you can't feel like that. You can't feel like that. But I do feel like that. I'm so angry. I want to kill someone. How do you deal with that? You express it, and you actually process it by moving through those emotions. The, the writer on the Psalms, Walter Brueggemann, I think, 
puts it brilliantly. My hunch is that there is a way beyond the Psalms of vengeance, but it's a way through them and not around them. If you're going to move to that place, that radical place where you can even do good to those who've harmed you, you actually have to journey through the valley. You have to acknowledge the reality of the anger and the emotions within you. You have to process it with God and help ask him to do a work within you. You've got to journey through the valley rather than trying to bypass the valley and say those feelings don't exist because they do. And when we scream and we shout to God, And when we wrestle with God and ask for him to help us, he can actually do that amazing work within us and take us beyond the feelings of vengeance and anger so that we can live in a radically new way. I don't know whether you saw the news story about um, the drunk driver who killed um, four children, (laughs) Um, three from one family plus their cousin, And the mum, Layla Abdullah, had this to say. Right now I can't hate him, the driver, she said. In my heart, I forgive him. I want the court to be fair, justice. But I'm not going to hate him because that's not who we are. And that's not what my religion tells us. Now, that's, that's a miraculous response. That's a miracle of God's grace to be able to say that. And frankly, I'm not sure that I could. I'd probably be a little bit more Psalm 137, I think, if that happened to me. And yet, I don't know. See, God works in his children. Some, this woman is a follower of Jesus. And somehow, in the midst of that terrible situation, in the midst of her emotions, he enabled her, rather than to hate, to want to forgive, to still want justice, but to not want to just lash out in the midst of her anger. God works in our emotions. God helps us as we deal with our anger. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, he can even work a miracle within us where he brings us to a place where we can offer grace and we can offer forgiveness. Let me pray. God, thanks that you have made us as emotional beings that our emotions are very much a part of who you created us to be and they're good. And so we do pray that you'd help us to be honest with the emotions that we're feeling to bring them to you. We ask that you would help us to trust you when we think, think that things are not fair. Bring them to you. And we pray that for all of us you would be doing your work by your Holy Spirit to change and transform us and make us more and more uh, the men and women that you want us to be modeled on Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you'd like to support the work of this podcast and the broader work of St. John's, head to our info hub, stjohnsdc.info, and click the giving card.